Chapter 5, Rite of Passage I remember in the early 80s, after discovering Dolphin, I deepened my resolve to stay on this earth. As that had come deeply into question, I needed a ceremony to confirm it. I had met Stephen Foster and Meredith Little only for a few hours, part of my unending research to find meaningful connection with life and particularly a more sacred relationship with nature, with earth, mountain, water, ocean, sky, breath, and fire. They had just written their first book, Vision Quest, and were working at a suicide hotline, taking teenagers on a nature journey as the beginning to recreating rites of passage for today. I knew upon meeting them right away, as I did with Dolphin, that I had a lifetime connection with them to unfold. I knew they and their work was a confirmation of what I had known was missing from mine. I left their home then in Northern California with the bare bones of a four-day fast that I was ready to do. Now, ready is a relative word. I had only scanned some pages of their text and asked a few questions. There were no guides, no protocols, no community, no safety vows. In much innocence, I embarked up a canyon towards a waterfall in a place called Ojai I had synchronistically landed in after my time at Esalen. I had water with me, and I was going to water. After hours of bushwhacking off trail, I found a huge flat rock in the river. This became my home for four days and four nights. The story of that time is long and short at the same time, past, present, and future as well. It is so alive in me still today. The prayer that came then is still the one I confirm each year. So simple. May I care for myself, others, and this earth as one action, one way of being. It goes on, of course, as prayers tend to do, but that's the gist of it. Rock bottom, rock river is where I went to die again to myself as I had come to be to all that was, and to truly ask again, what is mine to do, and where am I to be? I had left the beauty of those Rocky Mountains and all of my friends in Colorado. I had left the three jobs that any would have been happy to have. I had left my causes, my campaigns, my civil rights and feminist demonstrations, my peace protests, my nature fixes, my travel in service to others, my suffering through injuries and illness, my longing to be part of something more. All of it, I let go. Even my message to go west, my myth to give my attention to the water so strongly received during my last Utah desert journey, I let it all go. I cried a river 
and only left that rock once a day to put a stone on a stone pile at the top of the waterfall. I had remembered something in Stephen and Meredith's manuscript about stone piles, the need to make one and check it daily. I wasn't quite in the memory of why, except that it had to do with safety. Safety, part of the ceremony. It became a ritual I loved and only later realized, well, it was part of having a buddy, a community, a guide, all of which I had none of. And yet the stone pile, the rock and the river were truly my guides, my safety, my buddies, my community. The water became my home once again, and my safety lay therein. Only later, in reflection, did the message become so obvious that my next step would be to find co-create true human community and to find allies and guides every day. I remembered reading of an all-night vigil and a possible request for a new name. Now, the vigil, I was surely into that, but the new name raised my cynic and newly forming disdain for what appeared California wannabes New Ageism. Still, I was innocent at heart and kept all the possibilities open. Waking dreams and the river brought me to dawn and a name came not so much for me as for my life, my work. It was simply Rock River, a reminder to be both rock and water grounded and in flow, to give my attention to and move as water, to let flow my resources, my love, my gifts, whatever they came to be, as best I could. It was not about being good. It was about just being me. Service took on a new meaning, and I more free and ready, even prepared to live in the unknown, to trust I had or would find what was needed, at least a next step. Coming down the steep canyon, I found my car, my then home filled with all of my current belongings, just where I had left it. Only now, it had been emptied of my three primary treasures my wallet, my little bag of sacred jewelry, and my brother's guitar. After the initial shock, all came in as part of the story to serve as a confirmation of a new beginning. Rage had rung strong while in the river. Sound and singing had moved it through and would now be my go-to. The anxiety had to a large degree dissipated, but still, to this day, keeps a slow burn. The grief comes and goes like the clouds in my sky, no longer as frightening or all-consuming. Weather is my temperature check, and so-called rough weather, inside and out, has become more of a resource 
a part of my wholeness, a well and a window to the longing of my soul. And though I do not love it, neither do I need to leave. It is real, valued, even necessary. It is part of living the truth of my life. And that's, after all, all I have. And today, it is only on rare occasions that the violence of that volcano rises through me. It is when so much all comes together in a moment. The fear of man, the grief of our earth and all her creatures, the angers at others, and probably mostly at myself for being complicit. When that button is touched, somehow, mostly by the one I have vowed to love, I feel inside me all the possibilities of violence. Wow. Now that is humbling. I watch the news. I listen to BIPOC, people of the global majority. I watch documentaries and war movies for years, wanting to feel, to know, to understand how this violence continues and happens. I sit in circles with my lovers, brothers, back from the street battles, back from Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq. I tell them I can't imagine having their courage, that task, that duty, that training, that horror, that death. And then I hear them bear witness as well to the injustices inside the military, another whole kind of war beyond the identified enemy. I can't imagine it, yet I try to. I feel it's only fair to feel and imagine what I can, knowing that I am not an exception to it all. If I want us all to have equal opportunity, well, that means equal responsibility. And yet I can only say, no, I won't take up arms, even if asked. But do I really know what I would say? Do I know what I would do if I was under such threat right in front of me? I feel it impossible to know before. I can only prepare inside for a different reaction than escalation. I can only say, lo siento, Spanish for I'm sorry, translated, I feel you. I can only say, I'm here. I can only offer my love and learn how to truly love these warriors. And I return to the question of how it all began, the root causes of battle. And there I find few answers other than knowing who I become when under stress, stress of most any kind. The reaction increases with the intensity. Without a rock in that river, there's only one way to go, over the waterfall. The rock is then my dream, my prayer, my intention that I can hold on to 
in such currents. Without it, I am lost, as I feel so many are without ceremony, without initiation, a rite of passage into why we are here, without a bigger sense of belonging to Earth herself. Without that belonging intact, everything is continually under threat. Self, family, tribe, land, water. I know what it took me to discover this. I know what it takes for me to confirm each year and to choose to be here each day. And at times I find it beyond my capability to really imagine what it is like to have that kind of knowing, that kind of love attacked, not by one person, but actually by a whole race or system. Indigenous peoples, African Americans, experience that. And they are still here. I know the rage I feel when I have any taste of not being seen, heard, respected. In those moments, I hold on to that rock in the river for my life. I have come to feel and deeply respect the prayers and actions of peoples that must be so very deep to have not been swept away in the current of genocide. This morning at the sabbatical home where I'm staying in Ireland, I came across a board game. It's called The Settlers. Can you believe it? Here was the reminder of what we all learned as white Western culture kids to be a pioneer, to go on adventures, to build, trade, discover, and settle new lands. This was the heroic ideal. And such a worldview continues today. I remembered it in its purity, in my seeming innocence, without any question of whose lands we were settling, at whose expense had we arrived. That was not part of the story, since these were wild places never settled before, if inhabited only so by heathen savages that at best need to be saved by Christ, if not killed. Such a worldview was and still is hardly recognized as such, a view, a lens, a perception, and no more than that. I can read the theories on agriculture and ownership and how the shift from matriarchy to patriarchy was at fault, if not at least responsible, and I can find the stories, the myths, even some archaeological evidence that the war with others goes all the way back to the Neanderthals. Wow. I find myself in the council of such voices, perspectives, and takes on history, continuing to live into the questions daily. What is sacred? Where did these roots of conquest and war begin and why? Is it really human nature? Is this destructive warrior way something simply to accept as part of our humanity? And if so, is a sacred life truly possible 
in which all of life is respected? Seems cooperation as well as survival of the fittest goes on in the natural world continually. If the fight continues regardless, it seems up to me to find a way, to find where and how I am to be with the suffering as well as the joy.